Welcome to Practical Christian Living. It's looking at the things in your life that might be getting in the way. And no one can do this for you. I can't look at your life and go, let me evaluate this. You need to get rid of this, this, and this. You have to freely make up the decision and you need to freely give it up. And husbands, you can't do it for your wives. You can't go, don't you think you'd be able to work more for Christ if you didn't do that? And wives, you can't do that for your husbands. Jesus told his disciples to deny themselves if they wanted to follow him. Does that mean we get rid of everything we enjoy in order to follow Christ? No, but there are things in our lives that keep us from doing everything we can for Jesus. Things that may be stealing time or devotion that belong to God. May we take a real, honest look and pray about anything that might be slowing our race for Christ. With Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, here's Robert Furrow. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Search our hearts, reveal to us where our needs are, and we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the very important topic of finishing the race that God has given us to run. The Bible tells us that each one of us has been given a race, and our races are radically different. You can't run my race. I can't run your race. There's going to be different things that happen in your race that are going to discourage you. There's going to be things that happen in your race where you do want to quit, but you need to endure, and that's the point of this passage. And I want to remind you that the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who had made a commitment to Christ And then because of difficulties and hardships, persecutions that came their way, while their faith, the genuineness of their faith was being tested, right? We covered that passage that talked about their faith being tested so the genuineness of their faith could be revealed, even though if now it was necessary that they would face various and different trials that they were going through. So some of them were going, you know what, I'm out. It's the same God, Yahweh and Jesus. I'm going to go back to the temple. The temple was still around. They were going to go back to Judaism. They were looking back. They were going back. And so here in this section, first of all, in Hebrews chapter 11, which we just finished, he showed all these people that ran the race to the finish. And now some of them died without receiving the promises that when it got hard and tough, they didn't quit. They didn't give up. They continued to move forward, even though they never saw the promises there on earth. And that might be the case for some they may die before they receive all of the promises that God has given. And so now he turns and he gives this great passage. And it's such a powerful passage because it's got something behind it. It's not like he was just sitting back and writing and thinking, I'm going to write this and it's going to be so good for all people of all time. It's going to reach out and speak to them. It's just going to be so powerful and applicable to their lives. He was meaningfully writing, pleading with these Christians not to stop running in their race. Let's take a look at it. Let's read it. And then I want to break it down into what I call five keys for endurance, five keys for finishing your race, coming across that finish line. So here's 1 Corinthians, excuse me, here's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I'm looking at Hebrews and I say 1 Corinthians. Here's Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And so we see that his encouragement and example, the great example of running and finishing the race is Jesus who faced the cross, despised the shame, and yet he finished the race. And I want to look at five keys that we can learn about an effective race and finishing the race. But first, I might just like to consider for a moment those of you who may be feeling like giving up. Th there is something going on in our day which is similar to what was going on in their day. There are those who are deconstructing their faith. Maybe it's a term that you've heard, maybe not, but there are those that have walked with the Lord for a while, those that write books, those who sing songs, those who write worship songs, who are deciding to reevaluate whether or not they believe in the literalness of the Bible and whether or not they would move towards progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity is really only called Christianity, and they'll say this because they don't have anything else to really be involved in, to call it. They don't believe in the literal death of Jesus on the cross. They don't believe in a resurrection. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They are deconstructing their faith quite literally. And I think I've got to wonder as I step back and I see this happening to individuals who I've known in ministry, not known them personally necessarily, but I've known their ministry. I've got to wonder if they ever really made a genuine commitment to Christ. I have to wonder when you can deconstruct your faith and say, well, I no longer believe these things for various reasons if you've never really made a commitment. And I also wonder if that really wasn't what the writer to the Hebrews was struggling with. All of the warnings that he gives here. You've got to have a genuine faith and you've got to finish the race. You've got to endure until the end. And so the first key that I see out of this text is that we have a lot of examples. And that is verse one. Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now here's what he's doing. He's laying out an arena for you. He's going back to the Olympiad games, which they had in the ancient world every four years. The Roman world was immersed in the games. The Greek world was immersed in the games. And he's picturing a stadium with people all around cheering on those who are in the middle, who are either racing, because this is an analogy of a race, who are racing, who are fighting, and being cheered on by this great cloud of witnesses. Now, some have thought because of this that the people up in heaven are watching us. And when we hear that, some of us go, I hope not. I hope they're not just able to kind of look down on us and check in on us at any time, right? We still are on earth. We still need our privacy. One day we'll be in heaven and the Bible says that the walls will be transparent. Well, we, I'm glad we won't need our privacy anymore. Right now, I still need my privacy. You still need your privacy. It's not what it's saying. He's talking about Hebrews chapter 11 when he went through all of these men and women of faith 
who ran the race before us and finished the race. And I think on purpose, he brought up people like Jephthah and like Samson, men that had struggles and problems. He brought up people in the end of that passage who had suffered, who had died, who did not find victory here on this earth. He brought them all up because the race has to be run to the end anyway. And we have witnesses, we have examples of people who are, as it were, running with us. Although in a different time, we are running the same race that all of these guys ran. We're just running it in our own time. And we have to have our faith and our trust in the living God as well. And if we're going to run this race to endurance, well, those who ran the race before were disciplined, some of them. Some of them, like Samson, not very disciplined. Certainly, the athletes that he's comparing us to were disciplined. They trained. They were professional athletes. There were people that that's what their job was. That's what they did. They, every four years, competed in these Olympiads. So the first is that we have all of these witnesses that have gone before us that we can learn from, that should encourage us, that we should continue in the race that God's given us. The second is that we would lay aside every weight. This is part of the, the preparation to be able to run. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And laying aside every weight is not, is not the sin. We're going to get to the sin in a minute. It's something that may be in your life that slows you down. For an athlete that was running, it might be literally weight. <laughs> it might be his weight. He would prepare. In the ancient Olympiad, there was one particular fighter. He fought the Pancration. His name was Milo from a place called, hope I'm saying this right, Croton. Of course, I he probably doesn't care anymore. 500 years before the time of Christ. And you may have heard of him. He was the first strong man. He was the first one to ever win the Pancration. He won it 20, 24 for 24 years or 26 years. It was every four years. He won it as an adolescent. And then he went on to win it the rest of his life. It is said that when Milo trained, this is the guy, so you may have heard these things. It was said that when Milo trained, he would go out in the beginning of a, of a spring and he would pick up a calf. And then every day he would go pick it up. Every day. Until it was a bull. A full-grown bull. You might not be able to walk out and pick up a bull right away. But some of you guys, if you start picking him up as a calf, I think there come a place where I couldn't pick it up anymore. I also think about that bull. Here comes Milo every day and that bull's like, by golly, buddy. You come pick me up again, you know. And Milo would go out and pick it up. And you can think of the strength training it would take, but you can also think of the discipline that it would take. And if we're really going to run the race for Christ effectively, then we need to lay aside those things that slow us down. We're about to have the Summer Olympics. We're, we're going to set at our TV. I don't think they're going to have participants in the stands, at least not very many. Uh, but we're, we're going to set our TV and we're going to watch and we're going to root for the, the Americans on all the different events. When we watch the races, you, could you imagine if somebody came out with a fur coat on? The 100 meter race. Fur coat on, big combat boots. I don't care how fast they are. You would probably think, that guy's not serious. And that guy's not going to win. And if he did win, it would be amazing because of all that extra weight. 
So if we are serious about serving Christ, is there any rules against wearing a fur coat in the 100-meter dash? Is there any rules against combat boots? Then why do they wear the lightest shoes they could possibly wear? Why don't they come out with heavy coats on? Because they want to win. So if we want to win, there are things that we need to make decisions about, putting aside, that are hindering. And these things aren't sin. They're things in your life that you may know, this is not good for me. When I was a youth pastor, a lot of years ago now, I was a lay pastor. I had a business and I would work at my business all day and then I would prepare for the kids. And I'd come home and I'm a, I'm a little tired and I didn't get right into preparing the studies. And I felt like for two or three weeks, the Bible studies were just poor. And these weren't long Bible studies, by the way. They were high school kids. And I figured 20 minutes and, and we're out. You know, you get in and out, you lay some heavy stuff on them and you move on. And I felt like these aren't good. And the reason is, is because when I get home, I end up watching TV and it's not until late that I'm, and then I'm tired. I'm more tired than I was. And I got to go to bed and I'm up against the clock now. And so I talked to my wife about getting rid of our TV, which she was more than happy to do, by the way. By the way, I do have a TV now, okay? But we got rid of it for a while because it was a hindrance, because it was a weight that was keeping me from being effective in the ministry that God had called me to do. It wasn't sinful. It wasn't because I was watching things that were sinful that I wanted to get rid of it. It wasn't because I wanted to get holier. It was because I wanted to teach the kids better. I wanted to run the race better. But here's what's funny. It wasn't but a couple of weeks until somebody asked me whether I saw the Monday night football game. And you know what my response was? I don't have a TV. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I get rid of a TV because of my weakness, because it's distracting me from doing what God's called me to do. And then when somebody points out that they saw a game, I act like I'm better than them because I don't have a TV. If that just doesn't reveal the human heart, I don't know what does. We have a tendency to do that kind of stuff. We want to let people know that we are more spiritual than anybody else. It's a battle that we all fight. It's a battle that we all face. Nevertheless, it's good for us to evaluate. A few years before we got rid of the TV, we we're actually in an apartment that we were at. I um, had decided, I've kind of always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I remember telling my dad when I was a kid, why, why couldn't you just do that and, and make money? Why couldn't you just do that and sell it? And I've always had that. And um, I decided for some, I'd gotten a fish tank and I went out and I bought some betas, the Chinese fighting fish. And I decided if I breed these, I could sell them, I could make money. <laughs> so I got a book on how to breed betas and I successfully bred them. And when I saw the thousands of little fish inside the tank, you had to get the mother and dad out of there because they're cannibals and they'll eat those kids. So you get the mom and dad out and then you feed them until they grow. And then at a certain point, See, when I think I'm going to breed betas, I have no idea how much work it's going to be. You've got to get them out when they get to a certain age because they'll kill each other. They're cannibals. They'll eat each other. And so you've got to get them out and you've got to put them in their own little dish. So we had plastic cups lining our fireplace, <laughs> lining our countertops, in our bathrooms. Every spare space had a little cup. But here's the thing. As they grew, some of them were female didn't change much, maybe had a slight color to them, but the males grew longer fins and the males 
each had different colors. So I walk around feeding them. Look, a purple one, a red one. Look how bright red this guy is. And they'd see their reflection and they flare up. You know what I'm talking about? I can't tell you, how, at the same time I'm a youth pastor, I can't tell you how much time I spent on these fish. The funny thing is, is that I go to the, to the you'd think I would have, at this point I'm probably, I don't know, 20 years old, 21. You would have thought that I would have done my research on selling them already, but I didn't. So I go to the store, to the pet store, and I tell them, I've got betas for sale. Do you want to buy some? And the guy says, I can't buy betas from you. You have to be, you have to be certified. I got to make sure they're healthy. I got to make sure they've been brought up right. We just can't buy them from anyone. And here I am with hundreds of betas <laughs> that I can't sell. Now I tell you what's funny. A few days later, when I went over and said, can I give them to you? He was like, yeah, sure, you can give them to me. He couldn't buy them from me. But he could take them off my hands. Now, was having betas sinful for me? Well, maybe a little bit. I don't know. But it's certainly not sinful. You can't say, oh, yeah, I'm really struggling with sin, breeding betas in my house, you know. But it certainly slowed me down. And when we think of the gospel, I think of, of Sam uh, Holloway. I think of Sam Holloway. Thank you. TMB, by the way. You know what that is? Too many birthdays. Our first, uh, our first assistant pastor was Sam Holloway. And um, Sam told me at one point, we were talking about hunting, just starting to get into hunting. And he was like, I, I don't hunt because I got too much to do for the gospel of Christ. And don't, I don't fish. There'll come a time when I do, but I don't fish right now because I have too much to do for, for, for Christ. And I kind of thought, well, we've taken it a little too far. However, as the years went by, I kind of, I honored that in him. I, I, that he would come to the point where he would evaluate certain things that he was involved in, how much time it took him, and whether or not it took him away from his call. Now, Jesus also said to us in uh, Matthew 16, 24, to his disciples, if any of you desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. The denying yourself there isn't necessarily deny yourself some sin. In fact, I would think it's not. It's looking at the things in your life that might be getting in the way. And no one can do this for you. I can't look at your life and go, let me evaluate this. You need to get rid of this, this, and this. You have to freely make up the decision and you need to freely give it up. And husbands, you can't do it for your wives. You can't go, don't you think you'd be able to work more for Christ if you didn't do that? And wives, you can't do that for your husbands. Because if there's anything that I know about you guys who are here, you have a hobby. Every one of you. Another thing is, is that your wife probably doesn't know what you spend on your hobby. That's another one. You're like, stop. Shh. So you make decisions. You prayerfully make decisions about laying aside weights that may be keeping you from running swiftly. The third thing that it says here is that you would put away the sin which so easily ensnares you. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares you. This is the battle that you and I are to have against sin. It's something that I feel like churches are moving away from talking about righteousness, talking about victory over sin, they don't want you to come to church for the first time and be talking about sin. But the Bible tells us that we need to give a holiness to God and that we need to battle the sin, struggle with sin. 
You, you may never have complete victory. You may not have complete victory until Jesus comes back again. That's not never, but it may be a while. But you need to be struggling against sin. I like what Greg Laurie says. He says, some people don't struggle against sin. They just give in. They're just, you know, they're, they're, they're tempted and they sin. And there's no struggle at all. Here's what it says about the sin. It so easily ensnares you. It's the picture of a race. And you being so easily ensnared by that sin. That's the picture. Years ago, we had decided that we needed a pet. I don't know why I thought we needed a pet at all. But we went and we got a dog from the Humane Society that we took out in the parking lot for five minutes and decided, yes, this is our dog. It was an Irish setter. We named it Red because we're creative like that. So named the dog Red. And uh, this dog was the biggest spaz you ever saw. First of all, you couldn't take him for a walk. He wasn't least trained. And all he did was go in circles. And I'm telling you the truth, whoever walked that dog was going to go down. And that dog had to be walked because Irish setters are high strung to the max. And you had to walk that dog. But that dog, you'd be out there, he'd be going in circles and sooner or later, you'd be tangled up in that dog and you'd stupid dog, you'd say. The other thing the dog did was when he heard the latch on the gate open, he would hit it with his body and knock the gate open and wiggle out and run down the street. But he wasn't running away. He was playing a game. He'd turn around and look at you. And he'd wait for you. And when you got close enough, he'd run down the street and stop and turn around and look at you. The only reprieve that you had is that when he saw a new person, he wanted to see and meet the new person. So somebody else would come out and he'd go, hey, hello, 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 hello. And they'd say, you want me to hold your dog for you? Yes, please, thank you. I uh, was going to take Red back to the Humane Society, but I knew that that dog could get put to sleep. And the Bible says, the righteous man cares for the life of his animals. And so I, I, we gave the dog away <laughs> to someone that we know. And uh, the dog ran away and, and they never... Uh, they never went and got it. They were like, let the dog go. And uh, I went down to the Humane Society and got that dog back <laughs> because I still felt guilty. I felt like, and I went and I found that dog and I brought it back. And I won't tell you what eventually happened to that dog. But it is an example of what we do with sin. We think we can handle sin. We think that we're okay with it. We think we can take it out for a walk. And so we have unconfessed, unrepented sin that we have harbored in our lives. And the Bible tells us, well, at least three things about sin. All of these start with a D, so it's a, a, a preacher's dream. Number one, sin is deceptive. This is really important to know. Sin deceives you. That's why you think you can handle it. That's why you think you're okay doing it. That's why you can see somebody else doing the exact thing that you do, but you think you're okay doing it when you'll judge them for doing the same thing that you've done. Your sin always looks worse on somebody else, but sin is deceptive. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. 
our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus south of Palo Verde and I-10 meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.